Welcome to Stageworthy. I'm Phil Rickaby, the host of this podcast. This is episode 316. If you enjoy Stageworthy, please consider supporting it. There are a few ways that you can do that. First, you can rate the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a review. If you want to keep up with what's going on with Stageworthy and my other projects, you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to philrickaby.com slash subscribe. If you want to leave a tip for the show, you can drop some change in the virtual tip jar. I will put a link to that in the show notes. I also have a Patreon in support of this show. Since Stageworthy is a one-person operation, I'm the only person who does everything. I arrange the guests, I edit the show, I promote the show, and I even created the music. I also shoulder all of the financial responsibilities to keep the show going. So your support would mean the world. For a monthly subscription of just $5, I will take you behind the scenes on the podcast. I'll do regular Q&A sessions, and I will even present regular, exclusive, interactive conversations just for subscribers. You can find the Patreon at patreon.com slash But one of the most important things you can do, even more important than rating this show or leaving a review or even financial support, is to share it on social media. Even retweeting a post can have a huge effect. You can find Stageworthy on Twitter and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the archive of all 316 episodes at StageworthyPodcast.com. If you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby, and as I mentioned, my website is PhilRickaby.com. My guests this week are Himanshu Sitlani, Neha Polva, and Mikolan Rodriguez. Himanshu and Neha are the writers and performers, and Mikolan, the director of An Impermanent Resident, a Bollywood-infused comedy about the mundane and tiresome bureaucracy of the Canadian immigration process. An Impermanent Resident runs from April 1st to April 10th as part of Why Not Theatre's Riser series. Here's our conversation. So to jump in... Could you, one of you, two of you, as many people as want to jump in, tell me about Impermanent Resident? Okay, let me go first. Uh, so the Impermanent Resident is a show uh, that we wrote. It's about it's a story about my uh, the process that I went through to get my Canadian permanent residency. Yeah, it was a whole thing that we actually had to go through. Uh, there was a lot of bureaucracy that we had to go through. Uh, to put it in short, it took almost three and a half years for the mm. process to complete. Um, yeah, there was a, a whole thing of even at some point where uh, we got a letter saying, uh, is your marriage real? <laughs> um and the, and just the number of times that we had to fill forms and submit documents which were completely unnecessary just to get this one physical card that says uh, you're uh, you're uh, you're approved to be Canadian now and then now you're welcome into our country. Was there a lot of repetition in terms of the forms? Like, were you answering the same kinds of questions over and over? Oh my God! Yes, over and over. Yeah, because each there are five. So there are five forms uh, that each person needs to fill, uh, and it's pretty much the same. And at some point, uh, when we were looking at both the forms, we were like, "I don't even know whose form this is because it's exactly the same." 
it's a it's it's it i i think it's it's one of those like kafka-esque processes it sounds like yeah because i i mean it was also the number of times we had to fill it like i mentioned because every time the uh we got a letter stating oh this is missing this is not this is missing uh we just had to re- keep re-updating the form and so basically we ended up filling the the uh, application process almost four times that is a lot of times to fill out a form <laughs> and just to say basically this is our name this is our address and this is why we want to come to canada <laughs> um so how does that how does um that process uh translate to this stage Yeah, I can take that one. So this was a story that was, um, it was a short story, wasn't it first, uh, Neha? Yes, it was. It was a short story first. And and at Factory Theater, um, through the Foundry program, through the Playwright program, uh, Hemanju and Neha's uh, story uh, was pitched to be a script to be developed, at least for a first draft. Um, and I was part of that writing group as well during my time at Factory. And it was very clear that this comedy that was written became something of a, almost like a variety memory play that moves through, uh, moves chronologically through the story a little bit. It does have some flashbacks, but it's the, it's one of those kinds of shows that isn't just about um, point A to point B here's here's what happens chronologically. It was very much, here's all of the wild and wacky and sometimes very hard-hitting and um, emotionally uh, weighted ways that this process of so many attempts at trying to just get paperwork through and submitted um, and, and, and just turned it into a, a comedy. And I think... That it fits it oddly well, um, especially with the goal of it to be a comedy or at least to be much lighter than how the story could go uh, uh, or could have gone even. Because at that point, when we were uh, completed the first drafts of all of our plays and they had completed their draft during um, during our time at Factory, they still hadn't gotten the results of their latest attempt at permanent residency. And it wasn't until, spoilers, it wasn't until um, the day that we presented excerpts from it um, for, for an audience that, that I found out that they had just gotten it. Like the, the story had a conclusion. Um, and and it, it was just kind of amazing to see them pull this off, pull this kind of story off. And, and it was what made Factory pick it up for further development the following season. And in that season is when I was helping to facilitate the workshop that I realized, oh, like I have a lot of, I'm picturing the scenes of this as we're reading it compared to when we were writing it. I was so focused on my own Mm. um, script that it just never came to mind to think about even developing (laughs) beyond just the first draft. Uh, Yeah, it was. So so while this was being created, you, there was the the ending or what the ending would be was completely unknown correct yeah. 
was there like was there an alternate ending if the if you hadn't received it while you were creating the play i don't think we actually had an ending because it was one of those wig endings where we left it at a point where uh yeah uh, we left it kind of open ended where the audience don't really know if it's happened or not yeah so yeah because it, it it ends at a point where it could have gone it could go anywhere it's like what did, did they get it did they not get it kind of uh, mm. thing uh, so we left it there, uh, and and at some point, like during the process, we were just like, well, you know what? That's a very good ending. We're just gonna keep it mm. uh, till we find another, till we find what what happened. And even after uh, everything worked out, we still felt that there was still a good ending to end the play, basically. Hmm. Hmm. Now I'm curious about because you mentioned that there's all kinds of different different styles. Um, I know that you've mixed in some Bollywood aspects. Tell me about 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 putting those in uh, and 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 building that musical sensibility into the play. Honestly, as we were going through the whole process, the whole thing actually did feel like a Bollywood movie to us. With you know the 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 absolute drama and the comedy and the you know, silliness of a lot of things that were happening. It actually did feel like a Bollywood film. And so many times we were like, oh my God, this is a Bollywood film, you know? Yeah, we would make songs about it. With, like we would just take Bollywood tunes and just like, oh, this is how we're going to fill the form kind of thing. And <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah. and actually because we're both from Mumbai, like the land of Bollywood, yeah. and Neha is actually a trained film uh, actor from the, from the Film Institute of India. Uh, so her, even when she was writing, her visual sense of while while putting it on paper was very uh, visual and uh, Bollywood style. And at um, and I complete from the complete opposite end, where I'm like hardcore theater. No, no, we have to keep this theater uh, thing going. And but Nina was like, "Don't you dare do that! Let's get the Bollywood in." <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, and we just kept going with it, and we found out that there was a lot more elements. Uh, in it uh and because we went through it so it just made sense to just like add it and hype it up basically to, to me it, it it feels like the uh the adding in those bollywood aspects would would heighten the drama as well as as well as sort of give it give it more of a maybe a little bit more over the top but give it more 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 color more more pop uh, that's that's what I think it, it would sound like. Is is that what you found when you added it? Um. Yeah. Um. I I guess also because I mean I mean because of the 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 type of theater that I have seen. Uh, instead of in, we could have gone with the we could have gone with the standard like you know we just we're going to keep uh doing the play like uh how we how we wanted to do stage style. Uh, but we've never actually seen anything like Bollywood-ish. Uh, not that it's a big thing, but it's. I think it was important for us to uh, incorporate it into the show just to tell our story because that's our background pretty much. Yeah. Also, Bollywood is such a big part of our life. And thank God for Bollywood, actually. Whatever we went through, just because we had that lens to look through at these problems that we were going through, I think we could handle it 
pretty <laughs> much better than otherwise, you know. Um, I often think about the, you know, what is theater and what is other aspects? Like, how could you not put in something that was so much a part of 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 where you came from and and your background and where mm-hmm. you were trained? Um, the rules of of what makes theater, I think, sometimes can serve to be broken. Like, we can play in genre more than we think we can. And 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 throw in as many things as we feel we need to it. As you describe it, it sounds like like the Bollywood aspect, um, like something would be missing if you didn't put that in. Exactly, but it's also a lot to do with the theater training. Like back home in India, like when you do theater, you try and avoid Bollywood because Bollywood is everywhere. So the one place that you don't want to have too much Bollywood is in the theater, and like keep it like a theater space. So, but. In Canada, it's it's a completely. We actually had to untrain ourselves uh, because we, because we can actually add our own culture as part of the show, uh, and we can incorporate it, which is very which is very different than what we've been taught back home. But it was very uh, important. We felt uh, to incorporate it. Mm-hmm. Mickey, I'm curious about about your role in this part of 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 production. Um, what was, what were you, what was your part in, in helping to bring this to the stage, uh, as far as like, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned like being there as they were working on theirs and you were working on yours and now, uh, working to bring it to life. Tell me about that process for you. Yeah, absolutely. It was the, well, in the season after it was written and went through, um, workshops and, uh, and through a staged multiple attempts at stage readings, it's kind of the story of this play is that it's uh, it's third or more times the charm to make any of it move forward. Um, because in I mean, actually, why were why did it take us three times to put it up again? One was weather. What was the other uh, one? Uh, so the first time was the big snowstorm in January, mm-hmm. um, and then it was rescheduled to March. Uh, but I, then I think a mat was unavailable. Yeah, um, that's what, I think that's what it was. Yeah, and, mat was, uh, yeah, mat was unavailable, so that's why we had to reschedule it for the third time. Yeah, and then of course the pandemic uh, gave us two extra years to think about what we wanted to do with it. But uh, <laughs> essentially, after doing the staged reading, um, it, it was really clear to me some of the choices that would make this uh as fun as it is written and for the first time uh kind of ever for myself uh i i kind of wanted to 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 direct it to direct something and i'd i'd gone through uh factory's director enhancement training program the year prior and i got to work with philip aiken in that regard uh on the men in white but i'd never directed anything on my own before um so I'm very thankful that Hamanchu <laughs> kind of uh, let me give it a shot, and and really it was it wasn't until uh, Hamanchu came up to me one day in the office and said, "Hey, we got into Riser, uh, the Riser Festival from Why Not." Hmm. That I went, "Oh, it's real. <laughs> 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 it's time. Oh no!" <laughs> but um, I think part of what makes this process, or what has made this process less scary for me, is I mean, the fact that we were friends through the process of creating it. So I kind of had a head start. 
and mm. um, and an insight into it. Because I mean, part of the exercises that we did while coming up with our first drafts was to do something related to each of the playwrights' plays. And of course, for for an impermanent resident, we were all sitting around filling out immigration forms. And just so that we, as the other playwrights, could physically, viscerally feel what it's like to fill out the same damn information multiple times as if you <laughs> couldn't read it off the first sheet, <laughs> Government of Canada. Yeah. So yeah. it was very... <laughs> that, for me, was... I, I actually understood why they went comedy from filling out those forms because they were ridiculous. And I don't know any other way to make something that feels so mundane yet have such huge consequences on the rest of your life um, translate to the stage in any other way that's not going to hurt somebody than comedy. Because either you'll either go in my mind, in my very you know emerging director mind, it could either have been a play about filling out forms and then it just becomes, I guess, I, I don't even know. And then the other option is that it's, it, it is just this process where someone just feels stuck for hmm. years and years. And then you just talk about the void that that is hmm. or tell a story about that void. So I'm so grateful that Neha and Hamanchu went comedy because it made sense to me that they went that way. Not only because of the ridiculousness of, the ridiculousness of the process, but because of just their personalities and the fact that they used comedy to just get through it. I mean, as they described, like without the Bollywood uh, movies and, and music to sort of help them along the way through the process, it would have just felt uh, maybe, maybe hopeless. Mm. Go ahead. Yeah, and it was also, I mean, the amount of anguish that we went through um, and the entire process, especially for Neha. I mean, for, I mean, I still could go out, do things, work, and, uh, but Neha was just cooped up at home for that three, three and a half years waiting for this one mm -hmm. letter saying that she's approved to be uh, Canadian uh, and, uh, so she could start work. So, I mean, the only way we could relate to that anguish for us was through comedy uh, because there was nothing else. It was just instead of just being sad all the time, the only way we got through that entire time period was just trying to make each other laugh and like try and see the bright side of these things. Uh, so I think the comedy route just came out while writing it. It kind of makes sense because at a certain point, um, especially with that kind of uh, uh, ridiculous bureaucracy, you have two options and that is to cry or to laugh and mm -hmm. probably better to laugh. Exactly. Um, one of the things that I like to do is to is to uh, talk to people and, and hear their stories about how they found their way uh, to the theater, um, like into this industry. Um, now, Mickey, uh, as a director, you mentioned um, you mentioned the men in white, which, by the way, um, one of the funniest and also heartbreaking plays I have ever had the pleasure to see. <laughs> um, I'll start with you and ask you about your road to because you wear many hats yeah so what brought you to the theater and what made you decide that directing was what you wanted to do with all of the hats that you have around oh you? yeah uh it's a lot of hats so probably need a separate episode for that um but um i fell in love with performing through improv but specifically through the original whose line is it anyway that used to be on ytv all the time when i was a kid and i brought that to I think it was my grade six teacher. 
And I said, hey, have you ever watched Who's Line? And, and I just asked if we could play some games because we usually had like a drama hour where we would just do theater games. And she said yes. And I ended up running those games. And that kind of set it all off. Um, <laughs> I went into high school. Um, uh, I, I, I stumbled into improv again in high school with the Canadian improv games because a teacher um, came into our school, Sarah Agathos, and she introduced the idea of competitive improv into our school. And I fell in love with it. And that was essentially what most of my creative energy was focused on for the entirety of my back in the day, five years of high school because of um, OEC. And that uh, process of always being in the drama room, always doing improv, always being with other um, other people who love drama and who love theater, it made me want to really pursue it and continue into acting. And I was very um, fortunate to have a drama teacher, Mr. Lee, who refused to write my reference letter to York unless he acknowledged at how hard it would be to, to try and do something in theater um, professionally. And he just, uh, and so I, I admitted that I'm probably, <laughs> I'm probably going to face a lot of suffering and I do realize that it's hard. And luckily he uh, signed that letter and then I went to York. Um, I majored in devised theater um, and that translated into me um, being taught by Michael Gray Eyes. Um, and he was the first person to hire me professionally as a sound designer for, or, and a music composer. Um, so one of my hats is that I, I also was trained in piano since um, I was like six or seven years old. Um, and, and that just flipped into an interest in audio as well and an interest in producing music. And all of those things combined meant that anytime we were doing projects in university, I was the guy making sound uh, <laughs> soundtracks for the, the projects. And it caught it caught Michael's attention, uh, luckily. And I ended up being what I called myself as like his composer on retainer for <laughs> a few of his dance pieces over the course of like close to a decade. Maybe it was seven years, seven or eight years. And but it was really it was really that um, between that and then the classmates that I had that also continued into theater and we continued to collaborate through different indie companies. Um, I found myself doing like a parallel track or not a parallel track, I, I just a, a track that is was full of indie shows on the theater side, professional shows on the dance side, um, because uh, it was from Michael Gray's work that he was choreographing that he was dancing in. And that crossover between dance and theater, the artists who who do ride that line or who create dance theater or theater dance, um, artists like Shannon Litzenberger, uh, their connections to people in theater just ended up making their way back to me. And it's uh, I've been really lucky that I have I've had a, a 13, 14 plus year career in professional theater as a sound designer and as an actor because of word of mouth. And uh, I, I say that I'm lucky because I know sound designers who have like kicked doors down and mm. like asked to be apprentices for sound designers and are now complete and just like on that hustle to, to just get their name out there and to get their work out there. And they have amazing careers now. Mm. And I often like will ask if I can't do a job, I'm definitely passing it on to them. Artists like DNH Choi and Maddie Bautista. And, and for me, um, the fact that I had didn't have to do that is something that I'm grateful for every day. And so any opportunity that I get to expand upon that, I just look at it as 
um, uh, a yes until further notice. And, mm. and, and so that, and, and, and it, it's all connected because theater community is so small yeah. that like the sound, the people who hire me for sound designers, they'll see me like fooling around during like tech week and just like acting as a character and they'll be like, you should audition for this thing. And they don't know that I'm already an actor. Uh, and so I'll get a role there and then I might say something to a tech or to the, the design team there and they go, well, Mickey knows a lot about sound. That's kind of weird. Um, and then <laughs> I'll get hired onto another show. And eventually it's just, I keep getting hired by this, the same people because I just get along with them so well. Um, which led to eventually being cast in Banana Boys. And, and I got to work with with Nina uh, Leah Aquino for the very first time, who's someone that I always looked up to through university. That led to um, her telling me to <laughs> uh, so, um, sign up or apply for the uh, um, apprentice artistic director position at, at Factory Theater. And that's how I met Hamanchu and Neha. Hmm. So it's it's just been this, uh, it literally just started because of, uh, that's Colin Mockery. It's Colin Mockery, I thank you for my career in theater um, <laughs> because of what you did on Whose Line Is It Anyway. <laughs> um, Neha, I'll go to you next um, because I, I, I want to hear about your journey towards uh, theater and what made you want to be a performer first off. But also, since you did study film in Mumbai, um, tell me about, about what, what eventually made you want to put that towards theater. Thanks to Bollywood again. We, like most kids in Mumbai grow up wanting to be a Bollywood star. And I was one of them for sure. And uh, that's what led me to, you know, wanting to be an actor, performer. So uh, theater was not uh, my first uh, not something I went to first. So I, it was always like being on screen film. So that's how I uh, decided to do an acting course for which I went to the uh, went to film school uh, called the Film and Television Institute of India. It's one of the biggest uh, film institutes in Asia. So I managed to like uh, get a seat in the acting program and I studied acting there for two years. While that was happening, most of our acting training that happened at the Film Institute was through theater. So our teachers were like big theater personalities and uh, the exercises that we did in class were mostly theater exercises and uh, voice, physical training, all that was based off theaters. So that's where it started. And after the after the course, I came back uh, to to Mumbai, the the institute was in Pune, which is another city. So I came back to Mumbai, and um, I did I, I did some television here and there, but mostly it was I went back into theater because that's where uh, I realized that I enjoyed being on stage more through through the exercise and through the stuff we did at the institute. So I got um, mostly I did children's shows. So. I did a lot of theater then, and uh, that's how being on stage was like something I really liked doing. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. Now, one of the things that you've done that you also do is, is you have a cooking channel. So oh, yes. on, on YouTube. <laughs> um, so uh, what, what, what made you want to do to, to, to do a cooking show on YouTube? But I, I am such a big foodie. It's like, I dream about food. Most of my thoughts throughout the day is about what am I going to eat next, and I love I, I love I love cooking and um, food is something that's my you know that's something that I have it's my best friend 
It's where I go for comfort and everything. And that's how I connect with my family, with my mom, with my grandma. So food, cooking, learning new recipes, uh, traditional recipes, especially which are like, you know, now getting lost because of our, uh, you know, because of uh, the connection that we're losing with our grandparents and things like that. So I wanted to uh, preserve that. So I was like, okay, I'm going to start doing something. And that's how it started. And I wanted to do a cooking channel. And I've been watching a lot of YouTube where there are a lot of uh, cooking videos and stuff. And I wanted to give it a try. So that's how I started it. And and some some of the skills that I learned at film school, like editing and stuff, came in handy with that too. So I, yeah, so like, let's try something new. Nice, nice. That's great. Um, do you do you do that from your own kitchen? It was from my own kitchen. Actually, the ones that the videos that uh, we've uh, are there up now right now, they were from our own department. But ah. since we moved, we haven't done much of that yet. But yeah, we'd we'd film that, we'd record it, and then we'd eat that same dish. For yeah, <laughs> that was food for the day. Nice, nice. Uh, Himanshu, I'm I'm curious about your story because you, I mean, you've performed uh, shows. You've you've had some shows that have been presented uh, all over the world, uh, mm-hmm. like for example, Stories of a Dish, which I want to hear about. Um, but first, tell me about your what drew you to to theater and 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 also, you know, ultimately what brought you to Canada. Um, so theater was not part of my family growing up at all. In fact, uh, I never knew the concept of what theater was till I, till probably when I was in my early 20s. Um, because theater is, unfortunately, is one of the dying arts in India. Uh, there are lots of efforts to revive it and things have started getting better over the past 10 years or so. But when I was growing up, uh, theater was not something that was looked upon as a profession because uh, uh there is no money and there is literally no government support. Uh, everybody does theater just because they love it. So everybody does film, they write for film uh, and whatever little spare time they have, they do they do theater and produce theater. Uh, so my family never went to the theater. I didn't know about it. Uh, so it just happened while one day in college, we were setting up for like a teacher's day function kind of uh, event was happening. Uh, there was a small musical performance which in, which incorporated theater and Bollywood dance together. Uh, and just at the last minute, uh, one of the actors fell sick uh, and there was nobody to replace. And uh, the director came up to me, guys, I really need somebody. I need somebody to go on stage just to fill this one spot and like to be part of the uh, ensemble kind of thing. You don't have to do much. So I was like, you know, okay, I'll step on. There's no harm. It'll just the show will go on. Uh, and just as I was about to go on, he went like, oh, by the way, you have to uh, lip sync this one song for 30 seconds. And I was like, what? Uh, and I got pushed onto stage. <laughs> uh, and I did whatever I did. Uh, I don't remember it because it was such a blur. I did it. I came off stage and I was like, oh, that is such a rush. And I want to do this. Uh, so... From there, I started looking into doing more uh, into performance. Uh, I then joined the Dramatic Society in college, and things just went uh, from there. Um, uh, just I, again, I think like Mickey, I was just very fortunate at the time. Uh, there was a youth theater festival that was about that was just about taking shape. Uh, 
because a lot of theater audiences were old in India, this one festival decided that we needed to uh, get new and younger people into the theater. So this was a festival for anyone under the age of 25 uh, where they can present a play. And if they're good enough, they'll actually get to perform at the Prithvi theaters, like which is the biggest theater in Mumbai. Um, so I kept going there. I kept auditioning for this, for this festival and I didn't get through till the eighth year. Uh, but in that interim, uh, I met so many mentors uh, and the main person who was uh, producing the festival uh, named Kwasar uh, just took me under his wing and just made sure he guided me through the entire process and things went from there pretty much. Uh, yeah, again, then it was, it's pretty similar to what Mickey went through where I got a, I got a shot in one play. Somebody saw me there and just like, oh, okay, uh, would you like to act in our show? Like for sure. Uh, and the nature of Indian theater is such, in, if you want to be employed full-time, you have to do so many things. Uh, uh, so I had to learn how to stage manage. I learned how to run sound. I had to learn how to focus lights, um, be a light walker. Uh, in fact, there was a show that I did where I was stage manager uh, and set up a show till 4, 4 p.m., did box office till 5.30 uh, and then went into costume to go on stage at 6 p.m. Uh, and then <laughs> reconciled the box office at the end of the show. And But that's how Indian theater is because there's still, there is, uh, there's, it's it's not professional in the way Canada is. It's kind of like a DIY kind of theater, but it's at the same time, it's so exciting because anything can happen anytime. Uh, yeah, and that's how I, it just kept going. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to work with so many uh, eminent theater personalities in Mumbai. Uh, but at the same time, uh, my family was trying to immigrate to uh, Canada uh, because they thought because uh, like he'll study, he'll be, he'll again, South Asian parents will so be like after college, we'll take him to Canada and he'll study and become a chartered accountant and all of that. Uh, but of course, uh, as the nature, as we've already spoken of, uh, the process took almost 10 years. Mm. Uh, by that time, I was almost 30. Uh, so chartered accounts, uh, accountancy was not happening. Uh, but we still got the opportunity to come to Canada. To, so we said, uh, we'll explore this option and see what happens. Um, and when we came, things got in the way. Uh, I kept going back to Mumbai and actually I did meet Neha on a children's show that she was doing where I was running sound for, got married, got her to Canada uh, three and a half years later. So I didn't get into doing theater in Canada for the first eight years while I was here. So it was around the time of uh, the foundry uh, when I got into factory and that's where I met Mickey and everyone. So. Yeah, that was 2017, if I remember, Mickey. Was that 2016? Yeah, it was 2017. 2017, yeah. So from 2010 to 2017, I was doing the new immigrant to Canada, doing the odd jobs to pay rent uh, till I got a grant from uh, Toronto Arts Council where I could just take some time off work and just focus on getting myself into theater. The way that you describe uh, the DIY um, nature of, of theater in Mumbai. Mm -hmm. Um, it reminds me, I mean, it's a little more codified here, uh, the indie scene, but having to do all of those things will certainly stretch you and yes. make sure that, you know, all of the aspects of like so many aspects of, of what, how a theater is run. 
in the end, although that's a lot of things to try to contend with in a single night, it must have given you a real sense of of how to run a theater and how to make theater. Yeah, because uh, uh, it was it, doing theater in Mumbai is kind of a boot camp kind of situation where you're for. I mean, even if you don't want to, you're going to learn pretty much every aspect of it. Uh, then that's how I learned. Like, like I said, like not even uh, talking about the stage managing part. I didn't even mention like during before that. I was I was actually a producer on the show, as well. Uh, and in the morning, I'm I'm so. Wait, let me uh, clear that up. Uh, so in, in Mumbai, you don't get a run of shows. So you get, because there are almost 500 theater companies and there's just the one theater that supports you and there are only 365 days in a year. So the way Mumbai theater works is this theater will only give you like two or three days. Uh, and possibly that's the only time you can run your shows, run your show for the entire year. Uh, so you're going to do a repertory because you have that many shows. Uh, so you're pretty much going to be producer, uh, production manager, stage manager, costume, makeup, box office, actor, if need to be, uh, all on the same show. So yes, you will learn pretty much everything theater related uh, just by working in there. And I worked there for almost eight years. So I really knew uh, in and out of how to do everything in the theater in those eight years. I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, this play that was a short story, um, to turn a, a, a short story into a play is a process, obviously. You can't just, it doesn't translate one-to-one. So mm -hmm. the process of turning the short story into a play, can you talk about about how that worked? Like, did what? how much... For example, how much did you have to lose and how much did you get to keep? Like, how do you convert or how did you convert this short story into a play? I think it was thanks to Nina because uh, both of us didn't have any experience uh, uh, in playwriting as such. Mm. Um, and that was a short story that I wrote. So I'm... And actually, when I wrote it as a short story, I'm like, oh, my God, this there's so much more I want to still, you know, write, still say. So, you know, in my head, it was always a Bollywood film. <laughs> but when we went into Foundry and when uh, when Nina saw the, the short story and her guidance, I, I don't think it would have been possible to turn this short story into a play without her guidance yes yeah because we entered it thinking as it, it's a one-person show uh, mm, yeah because it's uh, Neha telling her story uh, through the process and as we were going through it we were just we, while writing it it was just like you know it should you know it's like it should be your story together because it's not just a one person it involves two of us and both of us are going through this process um it is heightened. It is, and it is Bollywood melodrama infused for sure. But it's pretty much exactly what we went through. Uh, so we pretty much got to keep, uh, I think, everything like what we went through, the people yeah. we met, uh, the forms that we had to fill. So we pretty much were able to keep everything because I mean, it was as Nina said, it was. It was so honest, and we're not when we're not faking any of this. This is exactly what we're going through, and it's 
it's life uh, it's li- it's drama is life is basically what was happening at that time mm-hmm. you want to think about it i don't even i can't even pin down a scene that was cut like there's nothing that comes to mind as like a, oh it's too bad we don't have that scene anymore oh yeah absolutely yeah. i think yeah, the only thing is we i think it was a linear show so the only thing we did was just like uh, play with timelines a bit, mm-hmm. uh, which was exciting to do. But yeah, we, we what we wrote is pretty much it. It stayed from the start till the end. And as Mickey said, because we were going through the process while we were writing the show, every time we came, it was a new thing, and we just uh, were able yeah, to incorporate we, all of it. Yeah, it was like, guess what happened today? Guess what letter we got today? So we just. <laughs> You know, added as it happened. Yeah, we got this phone call today, and you know, it's like, all right, take twenty minutes. Uh, write me a scene. Okay. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> um. So tell me about about where we can see this play. Yes. Um. So after two pandemic years, it was supposed to, which was supposed to happen in 2020. Mm. Uh, we are playing as part of Why Not Theatre's Riser Project 2022 at the Theatre Centre. Uh, it is happening from April 1st to the 10th. Uh, and it is produced by uh, the theatre company that Neha and me started uh, called Nortanki Bazaar. Nice. Nice. So this play was going to go up in, it, it was it going to be the spring of 2020 that it was initially scheduled for? It was scheduled April 2020. We were actually in rehearsals. We were uh, 10 days from opening, Mickey. Uh, uh, I mean, we were a week into... We had, we had completed a full week. Oh. This, the anniversary of us stopping rehearsal, our last rehearsal was yesterday. It was two years <laughs> oh to the God. day. Yeah. And, uh, oh. and, and, you know, it was it was interesting because like as a first-time director, I'm like, oh my God, we is it normal to be able to block a play in a week? Um, and so we were really excited to see what happened the weeks after. Um, and then, uh, and then the lockdowns, uh, started right then and there. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And there's been attempts to bring it back, uh, through riser. They, they have very, um, graciously sort of taken care of us each mm-hmm. time riser had the potential to come back. Um, and, uh, but uh, uh, Hemanshu and Neha were, were really adamant on finishing what we had started mm. because we had offers of doing it live stream, doing like a digital rec- or recording it and putting it online, which I'm a huge advocate for, but I also want to respect their wishes. And so uh, agreed to sort of stay on board until we, we finished what we started and put a, uh, um, an actual stage show for, for people to see live together. That decision to 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 live stream or do it digitally is is definitely a tough one, um, especially when you were especially when you were so close mm-hmm. to like performing it the first time. Um, I I mean myself, I'm a huge advocate for both. Like I don't think that one mm-hmm. needs to replace the other, mm-hmm. but I definitely see like something like this. Uh, it sounds like it it lives on the stage and that it would have might have lost something on a small screen i think so i i would agree with that and yeah i, I yeah like ironically enough the 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 play that has bollywood elements just wouldn't work for what bollywood would usually do which is the screen um 
it's mainly because it's in the incubator <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's mainly because I chose to do thrust style. Um, but you're right, uh, Phil, that, that it, it just wouldn't translate to camera in my mind. And then mm. at that point, it becomes that, that sort of that line or that, that crossover, that hazy area where it's like, is this, does this have that same feeling of intimacy and liveness? That's something that like a live stream would have. And, and even, and for this to be live streamed, it would just, it would be too much. It's a film, like a whole film and TV crew at that point to make something like this happen for a live stream. I think the way that I would want to honor the writing that Neha and Hamanchu have done. So I think you're right. I think, and I think that's why I agreed with Hamanchu and Neha's feelings that it had to be done live. It had to be done. It had to, we just had to finish what we started because um, it just didn't make sense to, if if we were if we were all willing to be patient anyway, it just didn't make sense to rush it into another format just to quote unquote get it over with because that's yes. not what what we wanted, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The I mean, there is that fine line between you know live streaming, and which is a you know if you're going to live stream from the theater, that's a diminished experience for anybody who's watching, right? Mm-hmm. I think it can be complementary to like a live stream from a theater while the show's going on can be a great accessibility uh, booster. There's so many things that it, it can add, but it is a diminished experience. And so if you if you can't have people in the audience experience experiencing it in person, then you all are all you are presenting is a diminished experience. And then if you go and you you're going to do like a like a digitally recorded and and make that available later then then you're into filmmaking which is not theater so there's this 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 fine line of 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 what you can do with the technology totally and i and i think that part of what draws that line is whether or not the play was written to be live streamed or if it was adapted from something that was meant for the stage and i think that it's one of it, it i think it makes a world of difference um, with the examples being like Acts of Faith was written to be live streamed. Mm. Year of the Rat was written to be live streamed, right? And and two things that I broadcast designed with Factory. And and as someone who live streams as a hobby on Twitch, that is something that became apparent to me during those processes. It was like, oh, because this was made to be live streamed, it doesn't feel like that diminished experience. Because I agree with you, Phil, that like the the just putting cameras in this on the stage, um, and then just doing that and saying that that's that's your stream it's um it just it just doesn't have that same uh intimacy it just doesn't it just it doesn't feel live even if it was live it wouldn't feel live no and, and live stream live stream i don't think can ever feel it will net like I, like i said it's a diminished experience but then also if you can't have an audience in the space like i was just talking i just released an episode with bruce dow the day we we're recording this and he was involved with the production diana the musical which was filmed for netflix but it was filmed for netflix with no audience because at the time they filmed it they couldn't have an audience mm-hmm. and the difference between watching that with no audience and watching uh, the Disney version, the Disney recorded version of Hamilton, which has an audience is night and day mm-hmm. because things that, that would end in, in like you, you know, you finish your big number and there was, should be applause, but when there's nothing, then it's, it feels empty. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes it very odd to, to edit around if you yes. edit at all. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
Um, I'm curious, uh, just as we as we sort of like start to draw to a close, um, you guys were working on this during the pandemic. You stuck to to waiting for the opportunity to present it live. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that there were opportunities that came up because this whole thing has taught us uh, about the impermanence of of the theatrical experience right now. How how heartbreaking it can be, how we have to switch on a dime and, and, and change things at the last minute. Um, what have you learned from this experience from 2020 until now? Um, I, I, I think during the entire pandemic, uh, I did watch a lot of theater shows. I did create a lot of, virtual shows uh, for Mumbai and for uh, Canada. But I, I think at the end of the day, uh, I always feel that anything theater-related has to happen in person. I mean, there are I, I agree with everything that you've said. Uh, like, uh, doing it virtually makes it more accessible, for sure. Uh, like, Stories of a Dish, for example, I was able to present it in Edinburgh, do a live version of it in Mumbai while sitting at my home, which was awesome. Uh, but as a performer inside, and the performer inside me will always say, I just miss that live audience and just looking uh, that audience member in the eye and like telling him my story. Uh, I, and I felt the need for that. Uh, so that's why with this particular show, we just wanted to hold on just to get that feeling and just to tell this story uh to the person in front of you to make them feel it uh and that's why we kept holding on uh also we kind of believe third time's the charm with this show no matter what whether it was going through the paperwork uh whether it was going to just to have the first draft reading of it we had to go three times so we were like wait we've we've been we've been stalled twice let's just see what happens the third time uh which is now so fingers crossed that third time is the charm is pretty much the theme for this play. And hopefully this is how it'll go and yeah. actually get to do it. Mm-hmm. And like Mickey said, when um, when we wrote this, it was written for stage. And when you like when we learned about digital theater now in this time, uh, I've seen shows that were written to be on stage, uh, but were streamed or um recorded and that didn't feel the same but i also saw shows that were written for a digital performance and the writing i think or uh i think that makes a lot of difference that's something we learned especially with stories of a dish the way we wrote uh, the way himanchu wrote it and the way we uh saw it in our heads was for a digital show so i think that's why it worked yeah, I think I think you have to create for the medium that mm-hmm. you want to present mm-hmm. in. Uh, and impermanent was always written to be uh, in person, so we kept sticking to that. Uh, and hopefully, we, and hopefully that's actually how it works. And yeah, nice. And hopefully nice. the waiting pays off. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. It sounds like it sounds like it will. It sounds like it will. We're in a a place right now where theater is happening, which is always which is a great place to be right now. So that's great. Um, just as uh, I have one last question um, for Mickey, just before we close off, um, this is sort of like one of those frivolous questions. Um, I know you're currently on a Lego kick. <laughs> yes. So what is your 
I Lego is so meditative to do. So what is your current work in progress Lego wise? Uh, they, I mean, I kind of have a choice because I finished a couple of um, Christmas gift Legos that I got, which were two. Uh, I think one was like a, they're, they're cars. One's a Ferrari, one's a Nissan GTR. But what I got for my birthday in October, I still haven't cracked open, is um, a huge Ghostbusters Ecto-1. Like, it's the car, the Ghostbusters Whoa. car. No. <laughs> and uh, and it's it's sitting on my kitchen table. And I and and I don't know what I'm saving it for. I have no idea what. I'm, maybe I'll, maybe it's for the opening or the closing of this show. I don't know. But it's been sitting on that table since October, and I walk by it every day, and I'm like, Nah, today's not the day. And then I'll just move on and 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 sort of uh, go through the rest of the day. Um, but yeah, that's that's one. And then uh, I, I like when I say a kick, I, I just like have a lineup. So there's <laughs> Ghostbusters car is the number one. Second is. Um, a uh, uh, NASA space shuttle discovery. Um, there's an R2D2, like a big one, and the the latest one is a Mandalorian. The Mandalorian helmet. Dang. Yeah. Wow. I, I don't. I have a problem, Phil. I need no, to... it's not. A, it's not a. Pr- <laughs> listen, you. The, okay. The problem is they're expensive, <laughs> but um, as far as like like they're fun to do. So yes. Uh, I years ago years ago totally I was I was gifted. Uh, a Lego set. It was my first Lego set in like, I don't know, since I was a kid. And as I was putting it together, I was like, why did I ever stop? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that was part of it too. It's just like <laughs> asking it. And and what's funny is that um, uh, like my, my, my parents always ask me what I want for my birthday. I never know. And this was the one year I was like, who cares? Uh, Lego. Here's here's a, a Lego, a bunch of Lego sets. It doesn't matter which one. Choose. Hmm. My mom texts me. And she's like, "I'm on a Lego kick too," um, <laughs> out of nowhere, right? <laughs> um, and so uh, I guess it's genetic. I'm just taking after my mom, apparently. But. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Himanshu, you're working at like day. Uh, one of the things that you do is you're working uh, at Factory Theater and the patron services. So, um, how long have you been doing that? And what 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 draws you towards that aspect, the, that supportive aspect of in, in the theater world? Um, again, I think it all stems from uh, what I learned in India. Uh, I just love being part of the theater and I, it really didn't matter what position I was. I just wanted to be involved in as many productions as possible. Also because it was monetary, like more plays I was a part of, I would make money and could make a living from doing theater in India. So, and I guess that passion just drove. So it really didn't matter what I was doing as long as I was involved with uh, with the theater. Uh, So I've been part of uh, Factory Theater as the patron services manager since November of 2018. while we were in the uh, second year of development uh, of the show at uh, at factory so it kind of worked well like i would work in the day and just join the workshops in the afternoon and at the same time i could just answer calls during breaks uh, so that was fun uh, but yeah and i think because i was so done working odd jobs i was working at a call center at the time uh, so it kind of translated uh, into patron services but i i felt it was important that i if I'm doing anything, I should be in the theater rather than working odd jobs at a call center or doing something else. Uh, so when this opportunity came, I just jumped at it, uh, uh, and it was yeah, it's been it's been a fun ride so far. Perfect. 
Himachu, uh, uh, Neha, Mickey, thank you so much for, for joining me this evening. Thanks so much for, for, for taking some time out of your day. And, and I look forward uh, uh, to uh, Impermanent Resident. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much for having me. Thank you.